Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by Minima.Global, Circle, and Pastel Network. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward, that's Jen Sinassi, and over there, special guest star, George Kaloudis. We love it when George is on the show. We are going to do the latest in the FTX saga. More damning revelations and spicy, spicy things have come out in the last 23 hours and 30 minutes since we last spoke, and we are going to dive right in. I'm starting us off today. Let's do this thing. All right. There was a declaration from the new CEO of FTX about why FTX has found itself in dire straits. Now, this is known as the first day declaration. It lays out how a company gets into hot water and seeks bankruptcy protection. And in this first day declaration, there are a ton of crazy revelations from the man who presided over the Enron bankruptcy. And this man who presided over the Enron bankruptcy says that never in his 40 years of legal and restructuring experience has he seen something so crazy. I have, quote, never seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information, end quote, as he has seen in digging through the wreckage of FTX. Pretty crazy stuff here. Really spicy 30-page document. There's also a subsequent document that has some other revelations, but we are going to focus in on this first one for now. George, I'm tossing it to you for your immediate thoughts. Yeah. First off, some people go through this life perfectly cast into their roles, complete with the name to top it off, right? I don't know if they call John J. Ray III, J.J. Ray III, but they definitely should. If we made a movie about a bankrupt company and the guy that would come in like the wolf to fix things with 40 years of restructuring, it would almost always be this dude called J.J. Ray III. So here are the things that I latched on to. One, I swear the entire financial system is held up by shoddy Excel files. Two, I can't believe this is worse than Enron. And 
man, this really feels like a crypto company just got sent off to military school because JJ Ray III is the antithesis of FTX. And he brought the army with him, man. Alvarez and Marsal, big law firms, the feds and chain analysis. And also, guys, we're, I didn't bring, we're not going to bring it up, I don't think, on this show, but the org chart, which is just the organizational structure of all these shell companies that were put together, is a complete mess. Only reason you have to have that many shell companies is when you're doing something shady, and turns out they were doing something shady. So before I get too worked up, Zach... Anything to add on there? I just want to talk about the big companies. He put them into four silos. The new CEO put these things into four broad silos and broke down the finances of each. There's some pretty crazy stuff in here, including uh, credible evidence that Alameda Research, which was the trading arm that was fueling a lot of the activity on FTX, had sort of a God mode button that prevented it from being liquidated on FTX.com, which is pretty crazy that the deck was rigged to that extent for Alameda trading, and yet still they found themselves in such a massive hole that it led to the commingling of customer funds and those handled by the crypto hedge fund. That's just one of several things in this document. I really encourage viewers to go check it out in its entirety. There's a ton of great reporting on it right now, but it is a fantastic document that lays out the facts and figures as far as it is currently known by the current CEO of FTX. Pretty crazy stuff. Jan, I got to get your opinion on this before we go back to George. Yeah, so John J. Ray III cited poor record keeping, lack of experience among senior managers, as well as the use of company funds to purchase real estate in the Bahamas. Like you said, Zach, he says this is the, the worst case he's seen in all of his experience. And this coming from the guy that handled the Enron bankruptcy proceedings. That is so damning and shocking, especially when we think about, you know, this pedestal that SBF was on just months ago. He really was the face of the industry out here, mingling with regulators, allegedly doing the right thing by by consumers and the rest of the industry. And for me, unpacking the events of the last two weeks, I've really been thinking about, you know, public perception and what's actually happening at a company and how PR and marketing can be used for such bad and to to lie to stakeholders, to consumers, to retailers and it seems like that happens a lot in this industry, which is so horrible because we are built on the foundation of transparency. And so, you know, we've been talking a lot about how this kind of proves the use case for DeFi. I think it also proves the, the use case for DAOs a little bit, you know, having a, a, anyone to be able to go and look into how a company is spending its money, where that money is going. I know there are a lot of things to solve as we bring DeFi and DAOs to the mainstream. And this incident has probably pushed that out even more. But, but I think that, yeah, the fact that SBF could go out there and say all of these things and spend all of this money in marketing and everyone just believed that the company was doing well is something to reflect on. But George, I'll kick it back to you. Yeah, honestly, DAOs with all their craziness in their discords, yeah, it would be better than these three people or however many people were involved in, in the, the scam or the fraud. We would have been better somehow. I can't believe a Discord full of bots would have been better than what we have here. Can you believe it? And, this is right. the world we're living in. And the, you were talking a little, about, a little bit about PR as well. And Zach over here mentioned Alameda and God Mode with Alameda. A lot of the perception on kind of the depths of crypto Twitter was that FTX was showing its entire order book to Alameda. So Alameda had, it's like they're playing poker and they could see everyone's hands and they still lost. 
which doesn't make any sense to me. Like they could have made, and they did make a ton of money until they started doing all this other stuff off balance sheet stuff. And that's yes. Part of it is a PR problem because they probably should have nipped that in the bud, but they couldn't nip that in the bud because they actually were cheating and they were still losing. Like, what is this? That's a valid point. I mean, I've been thinking recently about uh, an interview at Consensus this year with uh, then FTX US President Brett Harrison, who seemed to have left before things got really bad. But he was saying that, you know, the point indeed of partnering with MLB and doing Super Bowl commercials uh, and putting your name closely tied to established brands and institutions was to suggest that those brands and institutions had done their due diligence and found FTX to be a credible, legit actor within the space. And for all those brands and institutions and people who are now, Larry David, Steph Curry, Tom Brady included, being sued by angry investors. For this to come to light, they really have egg on their face. And I really feel for them because I think that a lot of this stuff was so hidden in the depths and the bowels of this organization that even senior leadership, as indicated in this declaration, was likely unaware of what was going on and the depth of this rot that had permeated FTX and Alameda. So it is uh, a bit of an embarrassment. And I do wonder... You know, what is the obligation of journalists in this instance? What is the obligation of, you know, upstanding, uh, you know, marketing professionals in this space? What's the level of do your own research that is reasonable to assume is possible? This doesn't um, discount or, you know, offer a blanket excuse for not surfacing these things earlier. But it is really fascinating that ultimately the story was brought to light by hard-nosed reporting, as we mentioned before, by Ian Allison surfacing a leaked balance sheet that showed these irregularities and these creative accounting techniques that suggested that where there's smoke, there might be fire. And what we see now in this declaration is that there was significant fire in the house of Sam Bankman-Fried. And it is really, really remarkable to see this come to light. Those are my thoughts. There's all sorts of crazy angles. There's intrigue, international intrigue as to where this will ultimately be heard. There's a lot of suggestions in this document that the new CEO distrusts the government officials in the Bahamas and distrusts SBF's ties and connections to those officials. It's going to be really interesting. I think observers of this case who are closely watching will see ultimately where it gets arbitrated, whether it lands in Delaware or whether it stays in Bahamas. That seems to be probably the next interesting nugget that may develop out of these revelations. Lots of crazy stuff. So much crazy stuff. There's always something more. All right, Jen, you have our next story. All right. Well, just months ago, SBF and FTX were swooping in to save the industry. Voyager Digital was one of the companies that FTX successfully bid on in their bankruptcy. Now, Binance US is planning to bid for the bankruptcy of Voyager Digital, according to a source. Uh, you know, I just I remember us talking about FTX as this as this white knight in the media, this savior. And, and Zach, I say this every day on the show. We said, should one man have all this power? And now the companies that FTX were going in to save and prop up are once again looking for some capital to stay alive. So Binance is back in the running. They're bidding on Voyager. Voyager's token VGX jumped as much as 50% on Coindesk's report. George, I'm kicking it off to you. Is CZ and Binance achieving that? That power. Are we putting CZ and Binance on that same pedestal that we put SPF and FTX on just six months ago? CZ is certainly trying to, right? For the love of, for all that is holy, don't become the main character, CZ. I don't want to depend on His Excellency Justin Sun to come to save us when you fall from grace. I don't know if you want to become the hero in crypto. You should just let things crash and burn. You know, Binance has a token too, 
and it's way bigger than FET was. And CZ has a lot of money and he has a pretty big vested interest in all of this being okay. I guess it's a complicated issue. Voyager might have assets tied up in FTX US. Those might be locked up in trust. So back to your point, there are general questions. If this is a free market, I guess we could have heroes, right? I don't know what Rockefeller was doing back in the day, but when he was doing this standard oil stuff, was he bailing out these companies or was he just like tanking them to tack them onto his own business? I don't know. What I do think this shows to just take another thread here is it just shows how insular and contained crypto is. There were at some point, maybe last year around this time, fears of broader contagion to the rest of the economy. But I think this really just is proof that this is a crypto problem. No one else is sweeping in to buy any distressed assets except for the crypto elites. And for lack of a better term, CZ is probably the most elite of crypto guys out there. I know, Zach, anything that? Yeah, I wonder if this is part of the recovery fund that was announced the other day, right? These are certainly maybe projects that ran afoul of a, of a streak of bad luck. And I'd be interested to see if, you know, an infusion of capital here or a takeover bid would bring them back to life. It does seem ironic that we're trying to make these formerly failed centralized finance uh, intermediaries kind of make them back into their former selves. When maybe the lesson of this whole thing is that we shouldn't be doing that as an industry, right? We shouldn't be recreating a lot of these black boxes that have led to risky practices swept under the rug that ultimately lead to the downfall of many a business and sink the fortunes of many an investor. If that's something like worth asking, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, right, there are Voyager users who are, you know, in pain right now. They're they're being parted with their investments. And if it takes, you know, an industry giant to swoop in and provide some short-term relief so that maybe they can mitigate their, you know, take next steps that are different from what got them in the situation this time around, maybe that's a fine thing. And I think I think it's worth being empathetic to those who are feeling the pain right now and not necessarily to leap to the conclusion that this is necessarily a bad thing. So I'm suspending judgment on this one. Going to be interesting to see if Voyager comes into the Binance fold because it would give Binance a nice piece in the crypto lending space that uh, heretofore has been a big pillar of the crypto economy. Definitely one to watch. Jen? Yeah, I'm just going to read this quote from the article. Binance's chief communications officer said that Binance is not looking to be the white knight of crypto. He said there are no Luke Skywalkers or Darth Vaders in business. This is a company with the most to lose as its market leader, looking around to see where we can help bolster the industry through a black swan event. And Zach, just to what you were saying, it reminded me of what Hester Peirce said at the beginning of their bear market. You know, we should actually just let these companies fall. I think that the industry will get better for it. George, you're absolutely right. I think that the industry is very incestual and contained. And I think that we could do with some diversity of thought, diversity of business experience, so that we don't see this happen again. I think, you know, it's great to have crypto experience. It's great to have Web3 experience. It's great to be friends and colleagues with everyone in this industry. But I think bringing in people who think differently and have different experiences could potentially help us mitigate some of the risks that we've seen during this market. George, I'm handing it off to you for last thoughts. Yeah, I think a lot of people have written about the idea where crypto is just doing all of the failings of traditional finance in hyperspeed, right? We had however many years between the Great Depression to whatever 2007 was. And we're just trying to do everything in that little tiny period for like, you know, the past year and a half, two years or so. If we don't like the old financial system, then why are we creating crypto exchanges that then trade derivatives, which trade derivatives on top of each other, which is how, you know, 2007 happened. Why do we keep doing this? Is it because we need diversity of thought? I mean, do we need to have a bunch of 30-year-olds running around running and running these businesses? Or do we just, do we need gray hair in the space? Do we need more women? Do we need more minorities? Like, what do we need? 
But anyway, I don't have the answers anyone for have you. anything to add before I get, before I get angry <laughs> those about my those piece? Are all, those were <laughs> good, solid rhetorical questions, George. That was fantastic. <laughs> Let's leave it there. The Let's leave those questions one. lingering in the ether, and hopefully some answers will come back to us in some form. All right, that's it. We're going to take a break here on The Hash on Coindesk TV, which rules. After the break, we're going to talk about that last crazy thing that everyone was captivated by before <laughs> this document dropped this morning. And that last crazy thing, I kind of forget. It was like a kind of like a dream last night. SBF was tweeting with a Vox reporter and the Vox reporter published all the receipts and it broke the internet momentarily until the next big thing happened. We're going to revisit that moment in time because it was a moment and we're going to do it on the hash after this break. Thanks for being with us. So here's a big question. What's the most important thing about crypto? It's not transactions per second, it's not convenience, and it's not even smart contracts. It's decentralization to achieve censorship resistance so we can all be free. Minima is a new layer one blockchain designed to run in full on a smartphone so that anyone can participate in building Minima's decentralized network as an equal. Join over 300,000 Minima node runners on the incentive program today to start earning Minima every day until mainnet launch. Get started at Minima.global. This episode is brought to you by Circle, the sole issuer of USDC and a leader in crypto that's held to a higher standard. USDC is a fast, safe, and efficient way to send money around the globe. USDC is always redeemable one-to-one -one for U.S. dollars and has over $45 billion in circulation as of October 13th, 2022. Plus, Circle posts weekly reserve reports and monthly attestations of reserve capital, letting users know that USDC is safe, transparent, and compliant with regulations. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to see why USDC is a trusted stablecoin. Have you ever tried creating an NFT? Creators usually face limitations from existing marketplaces and tools or are hindered by complex coding requirements if they try to do it themselves. Well, those days are over. Smart Mint by Pastel Network is a free to use and no code platform that makes minting NFTs easier than ever. Create custom NFT drops and collections across ecosystems like Ethereum and Polygon, while also having the flexibility to add customized features and manage existing creations with just a few clicks. Get started today for free at smartmint.pastel.network. Welcome back to The Hash. Let's get angry about oh, Twitter. Sam Bankman-Fried has tickets to his downfall for sale, and they are free. So there is a Danny Nelson article on Coindesk that has one of my favorite subheaders about a Vox article. And there was a lot of inception there. And the subheader said, Icarus keeps live tweeting his fall from the firmament. Beautiful, beautiful subheader. Well done, Danny. So there was this piece that was published on Vox yesterday in which the author carried out a DM interview over Twitter, the founder and disgraced former CEO of the now bankrupt crypto derivatives exchange FTX. And he said some interesting thing. Credit to the journalist who literally published screenshots of the exchange. Also, side note, the journalist does not use dark mode, and I have a problem with that. This guy, SBF, spent a lot of time on top of the crypto mountain in Washington, 
on the Hill lobbying regulators. He was the so-called good guy. So naturally, it was really, really interesting and weird and funny to see him say, and I quote, F regulators. What he actually said was, yeah, it's all PR, F regulators, they make everything worse, which is hilarious. I mean, whatever facade he had before as a good guy is completely shattered. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about regulators. He doesn't care about anything but making money. And then he went on to say something about how OFAC is slowly undermining U.S. interests globally in the DMs. And I seem to remember not too long ago, he wrote something about how we need to adhere to the rules of OFAC. I mean, give me a break, dude. He then came up after the Vox article dropped because he thought it was off the record, which it definitely wasn't. And he tweeted that the regulators are great now. Like, I love the regulators. Being a regulator is hard. Like I said, give me a break. All this hand-waving about, oh, I thought it was off the record. You're talking to a journalist whose job is to uncover nonsense like what you were peddling. And man, oh man, am I glad that he did not clarify it was off the record. Anyway, Zach, anything to add there? I'm really getting worked up. So let's turn it up a little bit. I'm just giving you, I'm just I'm just giving you space to get worked <laughs> up, man. So it's fun. It's fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, to the reporter's credit, she confirmed the following morning in email whether or not she was actually speaking with Sam Bankman Fried. And he confirmed that they were actually they spoke and that that was included in the piece. She showed her notes. But it does, I don't know, speak to whether whether or not there was a misunderstanding, whether there's a media ethics question that needs to be unpacked. But the reality is this was just a huge moment on Twitter last night in which everyone, not just crypto nerds, were looking at this story and commenting on it for how uh, crazily candid SBF appeared to be with a reporter from Vox, right? This had uh, you know, that spicy regulator quote, it had something to indicate that maybe deposits to FTX were actually being held on Alameda, which was a bit unclear and a bit cryptic. There was all sorts of things in here that were potentially quite damning. And it just was a real head scratcher of a move. Was this some like elaborate 40 chess move that SBF was doing to prevent future things? Was this a lapse in judgment? Was he just worn down and it was just coming out in, in raw truth? It was just all so crazy. But the things that were said in there about his public image, about some of the inner workings of the business, uh, about so much more were just really crazy and quite shocking. But George, I saw your hand up when I mentioned the FTX Alameda thing. What do you got? I was mostly, I'm going to play armchair Twitter psychologist here. The things you say in DM is what you really feel. And the things you tweet depending on who you are, aren't how you really feel. So I just thought the dissonance between, hey, man, your DMs are leaked. We saw exactly how you feel about regulators, about ESG, all these things. And then you tweet as if we didn't just all see it, right? You're a public figure. <laughs> how can you think that we are that dumb that the things you said in DM, oh, those were DMs, I don't actually meet them. And then you tweet the thing that is the PR-focused front of you in the world and we're supposed to believe that and not the thing you said in DMs that you thought were private. And although the DMs were not private private, they're still in a more private setting and he showed us who he was. And what, he's going to tweet like we didn't see it? Like Who does he think he is? Anyway, Jen. Is he unraveling? I just am having such a hard time making sense of what's going on. He had such a curated image. He had such a solid story that he told over and over and over again in the media. I don't know what was going on behind the scenes, but I feel like if he was being so open and candid about his thoughts as he was in, this, in these DMs with anyone before, we would have found out about it eventually before his company imploded. 
and so I don't even know what to make of what's happening and, and his unraveling on Twitter right now. I know he said he, you know, I thought I was talking to a friend. And then the journalist wrote that they had had a Zoom interview in the summer. And then she had reached out via DM, not expecting him to answer. And here he is pouring out his heart and soul and showing us how he really feels about so many of the issues that we thought he stood for. It is so troubling. I just still, I know we just keep saying on this show today, help me make sense of it. Just help me make sense of what's going on, Sam Bankman-Fried, because I have no idea what's going on anymore. I don't think that he is being advised by anyone in PR right now. I feel like he's just, you know, kind of losing it, maybe doesn't know what to do next. And so one moment he wants to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And the other moment he's back to, to this curated image. I don't know, George, what do you got? Yeah, just an homage or a tribute to John J. Ray, J.J. Ray III. SPF has nothing to do with FTX anymore. J.J. Ray III, he's the boss now. So whatever image, whatever he's portraying out there is no indication of what FTX stands for right now. So just, you know, giving a shout out to my bankruptcy guy over there, J.J. Ray III. Who cares about PR? Who cares about PR at this point? He's his own man. Like I said, tickets to his downfall are for sale, and, and man, the price is free. Powered by Elon Musk. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> lots, lots to say here. Lots to say here. At some point, like you know, we'll stop talking about this, and that may be a good thing as FTX looks to rebuild and make some of its depositors whole. But for now, just revelations keep coming out, and the uh, level of interest is certainly still high, given that new facts seem to be emerging with stunning regularity. But yeah, one day, one day, maybe FTX makes its depositors whole. One day, maybe SBF mounts a comeback campaign. Maybe not. Uh, one day, maybe crypto moves again toward a more decentralized version of itself that isn't reliant on these big centralized intermediaries. But then again, maybe not. going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds in the coming weeks, months, and years. This was a big event. Hold your keys. Hold your keys. That's what guys. George says. Okay. He's the Bitcoin maxi on the panel right now. He says, hold your keys, not your keys, not your coin. Always good advice, regardless of the asset. All right. That's it. Uh, that's it for the hash today. Thanks for watching Coindesk TV. Check us out on the podcast network. If you aren't already, good place to listen to stuff. And yeah, let us know what you think. Comment uh, on your streaming platform of choice. You hit us up in the DMs. That's where George says all his spicy stuff. So that's right. That's the place. <laughs> good times. Everyone's going right, to be DMing it. George now. Yeah. Who doesn't like DMing with George? It's super fun. <laughs> anyway, that's it. I'm I'll Zach Seward. That's Jen Sanasi, George Glutus over there. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Stay safe out there in these markets. All right. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 